Baseball's back. All right. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone. As always, we are your hosts, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game, and Al of Nesson. And we have some very exciting news for you. Baseball's back. All right. (laughs) I have been waiting to do the Backstreet Boys thing for three months, and I did it, and I'm not embarrassed. And honestly, like, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're counting (laughs) our chickens before they hatch, certainly. This whole week is counting its chickens before it hatches. Like, baseball announced its return, and then, like, half an hour later, the Rockies were like, also three of our players have coronavirus. It's fine. Mm. It's fine. Uh, We'll see. It looks like all the teams, based off of their media availabilities yesterday, seem pretty confident that baseball has the resources in place to kind of withstand a big outbreak. So uh looks like we're, we're doing it. We're doing it live. They've kind of committed to the bit, so I guess they have to see it through now. It would be pretty catastrophic for baseball if they just were like, psych, we're not doing it. I mean, they they came this far. It's kind of like you just assume that they have to see it all the way through now. Yeah, so we got a 60-game season, quite the laundry list of health and safety protocols. Still a lot of pettiness between the both sides, but I think all that matters is everyone is happy to just get back to playing. And our guest is a former Red Sox, current Miami Marlin, fellow baseball Jew. That sounds really not PC, but as a baseball Jew, I guess I can just say it. We have Ryan LaVarnway on the pod today. He and I recently were, I guess you would call it co-chairs. We were called captains for the event because, you know, sports. But he and I both recently were co-chairs in a fundraising event, a virtual one, obviously, for Team Israel Baseball for the Olympics. It's the first time Israel has qualified for baseball in the Olympics, and it's their first team qualification in over 30 years. So it's pretty exciting that we had him on and that we did this fundraiser together last week. I have a pretty crazy story from it that we talk about later when Ryan joins us. And if you want to help support Team Israel, the link to donate to help them get to the Olympics, because apparently it's expensive as hell to bring a sports team to the Olympics. Who would have thought? is in the episode description for this episode. Yeah, it was great to talk to Ryan and just get that player perspective of someone who's like not necessarily a Mike Trout and needs a paycheck this season. And it was cool to just see, not it was cool because their negotiation process sucked. (laughs) It gave us a great look behind the scenes of the players' perspectives throughout all of these negotiations. So we got that coming out for you. Al, does it feel weird to you that sports are coming back during a global pandemic? Because I know as weird as it's been to not have sports, it's also going to be really weird to watch like our favorite teams play in empty ballparks and arenas and, you know, not be able to like hug each other or high five when someone hits a home run. I I don't know. It's going to feel kind of surreal. Honestly, I've been I've been watching a lot of soccer and of course we've had golf, which weird things are happening there with Kepka and a lot of guys having to withdraw from the tournament because their caddies or themselves have COVID. It's it's going to be interesting. I mean, but I think we're at a place right now that, that there's nothing we need more than to come together about something and what brings people together better than sports, I think. Like Sam Kennedy said last night in his availability with reporters, the world needs baseball back right now, um, sports in general. So I'm so ready for it. And I think that with all the health and safety protocols, like guys are guys are going to have to sit out for isolation periods, like guys are going to get the virus. But I think that they will be able to kind of 
combat really any big outbreaks. Clearly at this point, they're just full steam ahead. And my only hope is that they just like the players, everybody takes it seriously so they can minimize this as much as possible because I've read reports saying that some players are worried that their teammates aren't going to take it seriously. And I mean, we see that, like we see that in our own lives too. Like we have friends who've been kind of cavalier. I have friends that they're just living their lives and, you know, to each their own, but at the same time, like you got to be respectful of the people around you. Like I've had to have difficult conversations with friends being like, I'm sorry, I can't hang out with you because I can't trust you, you know, and that's fine. It's just, it is what it is. And as Ryan tells us later in the episode, the teams that are going to be the most successful are the ones that respect each other and kind of stick together in terms of maintaining a safe environment for everybody. And it's also, I mean, it's also because, you know, teams are going to have to respect people like their coaches and managers. Like Dusty Baker's 71 years old. He's talking about how he has like a million masks and it was kind of funny. He's like, I have a million masks. I have gloves. I have this, I have that. And he goes, I have sunglasses. And I was like, sunglasses? Did I miss like the thing where like sunglasses are now a medical, like great. I wear sunglasses all the time. So I don't have to wear makeup. Uh, but I, I was not aware of that. But yeah, I mean, I just, my whole thing from the beginning has been, I miss baseball, but it's not worth anybody losing their life uh, to bring sports back. And so I just hope that everybody stays safe because God forbid somebody like really gets it, you know? The last thing you want is something like what happened to Carl Anthony Towns in the NBA with his mother and father getting it early on and his mother passed away. But I think the more I read and the more I talk to my mother, who's been a respiratory therapist for my entire life, brilliant woman, all my friends in the medical field, like the more people I talk to, I start to realize that like, it makes me optimistic because these guys are going to have medical care on them 24 seven. You definitely have to really monitor those older managers and staffers. That's, I think, the biggest worry here is the staff. Yeah. Sox have a new older manager themselves. Ron Renicki is no spring chicken. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I just, it was just so crazy to me. Like the morning of the day that they announced baseball's return, the Phillies had multiple players and staff test positive and then within the same hour, it's like Charlie Blackman and two other Rockies have it. And then the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, apparently the Marlins have multiple players and staff. Yeah. I think that's why you have like this ramp up period kind of ramping up to spring training. So like if these guys are getting it now, probably better. The other thing is that the COVID numbers have been rising so rapidly all over the country this week. So it just, it feels like an extra weird time because it's not like they announced it last week when a lot of states were celebrating that their numbers were dropping. It's like they announced it the same day that California had a record high single day of cases. And then the country had a record high national. Florida had just had a record high. Good Lord. What the hell is Florida even doing? Like, I mean, I know what they're doing. They're being stupid as hell. Florida man. (laughs) Literally, it's just a state full of Florida man. I well, that's the thing. It's like normal. It, like when the bars opened back up, they went fucking wild down there. The Orlando Magic had to withdraw from the National Women's Soccer League return because yeah. younger players went out and went to nightclubs and bars and a bunch of the team got infected and they just were like, now none of us can go. The thing is like, that's the problem. And it's the same thing for like yesterday when Kennedy was talking about maybe allowing fans into Fenway. We haven't been allowed to have happy hour legally since 1984. And you're going to let desperate baseball fans into Fenway? Are you kidding me? I wonder what that would look like, though. Like, because you're not packing. Well, no, you're obviously not packing, but it's still so. Like, is it going to be like one group, like, spaced out? rows like I wonder how many people right but then how do they choose how do they choose those people and protocols um money who's willing to pay for these give us ten thousand dollars and you can risk your life to watch a Red Sox game yeah (laughs) what do you think the ticket prices are going to be like for the first sports to come back like like to recoup after losing revenue this year you know that even though so many fans are unemployed or like took pay cuts or are losing money. Like 
The oh, Red yeah. Sox are still going to like raise the ticket. They were already planning on raising the ticket prices for this season before the pandemic by like 1.7% or something. Yeah. And baseball tickets for the most part, comparatively to other sports are affordable. What like the trying to go to a Bruins game after oh all God. this? I've wow. only ever gone to a Bruins game if wow. I get offered tickets for free. I would not pay to go so to a Bruins expensive. game. You could not pay me to go to Fenway right now. People will pay though. And oh, you! I know they will, but that's why they shouldn't do it. Because the problem is that you're assuming people will comply. That's the problem. Like opening up bars, all of the phases in Boston, like I just think about the number of crazy people I've seen at sporting events or at bars in Boston throughout my life. And it's so insane to me that people in the government are operating under the assumption that these people will comply because you and I both know that so many people just have no regard for the human lives of literally anyone besides themselves. Yeah. I mean, I even have friends who are like, I can't wait the first day the bars in Southie open up. I'm there. (laughs) As someone that wouldn't be, hates to be caught in Southie bars to begin with. That sounds like a miserable time. I don't know if it's just because I was already an anxious person. And I was considering writing about this because I'm writing a thing for Girl at the Game about like sport, you know, how it's okay to like not know how you feel about sports coming back. Because like I'm super excited, but I'm also super anxious, obviously, for sports. And it's okay to like have that mix of feelings. But I think one of the things that really drove it home was like being in Mexico when everything got bad. And then coming home to like a completely different, like we left and like Boston was still open. People were still going to work. My sister was still in school. Our gym was still open. Like everything was still open. And then by like the third day of our trip, everything was closing. And by like the fifth day of our trip, like it was the last day you could eat out at a restaurant. Like, and I know because you told me that you were out to eat on the last night that you could go to a restaurant in Boston. And like during the week before things got bad, our friends were like, joking being like you should stay in Mexico like you should just extend your trip because like shit sucks here but it'll be better in like two weeks that's how people were thinking and by the end of our trip our day to leave Mexico ended up being the day that Trump had said was the last day that you could like before the travel ban started right so like that was already the day that we were going to come home but like the last two the last two days of our trip had been just so stressful because we were watching everything get bad at home from the outside and knowing we were going to have to come home to this and coming back it was literally like the reverse of the wizard of oz you know going from color to instead black of going from from sepia to, to to technicolor we went from technicolor to sepia we came home connecticut was dead silent nothing was open it was so creepy. There was no toilet paper anywhere. People were dying. I mean, it was terrifying. And so for me, like it really like that kind of stark contrast of being gone and everything just going to hell while we were gone. It terrified me because we came home to like a completely different world. Yeah, I can see how that would be traumatic. And so like, just like, no, no, I'm not ready. Yeah, I'm a lot less nervous than I was in like March and April, like the really dark days. I have so many friends and like people around me in my life, like on the front lines and in the medical field, like my mom, for example, like as a respiratory therapist, like there's no one leading this fight and like doing more work in my opinion than respiratory therapists. Like, and just like talking to her and like my best friend's a nurse practitioner and like that's kind of the girls I hung out with in school, like the nurses and like physician assistants. And like they've just like kind of made me feel much more at ease, like with all of this. What this has brought into focus to me is like how much of an impact people have on each other, because like even like the amount of people that you come in contact with in a normal day, like you and like people inadvertently interact with hundreds of people every day. And so for me, like, I just, I mean, I can't, it's going to take me a really long time. I mean, like I, yeah, I totally get that. That's like super understandable. I got distracted because we were talking about other things. So without further ado, the one and only Ryan LaVarnway. Okay, 
guys, I'm so excited to welcome on very special guest, former Red Sox, fellow Jewish baseball person, member of Team Israel. This is a special treat for me as someone who grew up memorizing all of the names of Jewish baseball players. We have Ryan LaVarnway on the podcast today. Ryan, thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Hi, guys. So a little background info. Ryan and I connected earlier this week because we were both on the fundraiser fantasy baseball draft for Team Israel Baseball, trying to help them raise money to get to the Olympics. And it was really fun. Ryan did not get drafted high enough. He deserved a lot better. Just putting that out there. Though I also acknowledge that I could have drafted you. So that's partially on me. Uh, well, I definitely chose uh, another catcher. Uh, I chose the first catcher in the draft, and it definitely wasn't myself. But I think that was realistic. I think, you know, Brad Osmus was objectively a better player than me. Weren't you also not allowed to draft yourself? Because I asked Ty if we could draft him and Ty Kelly. Yeah. The and rules, he was like, no. <laughs> the rules kind of evolved as we did the draft. So first you couldn't draft yourself. And then as we got to the later rounds and we started running out of Jewish players that ever existed, <laughs> I think they let John Moscott draft himself so that they could have a relief pitcher. <laughs> God. Hey, I've watched Julian Edelman take BP at Fenway before games before. You could uh, top him in maybe. You know what? That, w- that would have been a great idea just drafting other Jewish athletes from other sports. We should have been allowed to do that. Man. Hoping they pan out in baseball. We'll throw them in the outfield. It's fine. I mean, look, Mookie Betts is like a four-sport athlete. So, I mean, there's so many athletes Dual are like... run down some balls in center yeah, field. Yeah, Edelman, sure. Edelman oh, yeah. catches, catches passes across the middle. He'll catch anything in the outfield. There were definitely some reaches in there as we got towards the end. And we only had five <laughs> teams drafting, so... That and and they they turned down a few picks that... Mm-hmm. Even the internet says are Jewish, and they said aren't they? Maybe they weren't Jewish enough, or they weren't Jewish during their career. Only after it was very interesting how it worked, but it was really fun. It was really fun. I was hoping I could draft Rod Carew because, like in the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song, he's like Rod Carew, Hall of Famer. He converted, and it's like, well, so can we have converted Jews in here? Because like I'll take Rod Carew on my team, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, you'll take Rod Carew on your team. I did some research beforehand. I. I mean, by research, I Googled best Jewish baseball players of all time. Oh, and, so we did the same research. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I, came, I found an article that said these are the best Jews at every position. And I think like six out of nine of them weren't eligible for the draft. Yeah, it's kind of strict. I don't know. But it was, I mean, it was really fun. But I, the, the funniest part, which uh, I promised my dad I would tell this story on the podcast, and you remember because we were both there. So it was a Zoom baseball draft, obviously, because we're all trapped at home. And, you know, on Zoom, you can change, you can set your name, your display name to anything, and you can have your camera not on. And so we start the draft, and my team has the third pick. And obviously, Koufax and Greenberg go first. So we decided we were going to draft Sean Green. Like, pretty obvious choice for a first-round pick. And I'm like, okay, we're drafting him because of this and this. And I ended it by saying he's one of the few players to hit four home runs in a single game, which is true. And this guy who's no camera on and his display name just says iPhone (laughs) types in the chat to everyone and goes, he's not the only player to hit four home runs in a single game. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. I didn't say he was the only like J.D. Martinez is on the Red Sox. He had a four homer game with the Diamondbacks before. Um, and all these people are like correcting it. And about 10 minutes later, the guy who was running the event announces that Alan Dershowitz is the guy who's listed as iPhone and doesn't have his screen on. And he turns on the screen and it is in fact very well-known lawyer and uh, former OJ Simpson case advisor and uh, apparently a creep to young women guy, Alan Dershowitz. And I was like, Oh my God, I just got mansplained by Alan Dershowitz. What is happening? And not only that, he t- so he turns on his camera, he starts talking, and he doubles down, even though like five people had replied in the chat being like, she didn't say that. He goes, as that young lady was saying before. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. So that that was, uh, I don't want to say that was my favorite part of the draft, because it clearly wasn't, but it was definitely one of the most memorable parts of uh, a very fun event, because I yeah. then had my dad tell that to like different rabbi friends of his. Also... <laughs> 
as the drafting team right after you, that was extremely distracting. Because what, that I first took of all, Green? Or well, that yeah, he did well, was, we were going to take Sean Green, and we were going to take basically every other pick that you took right before us. Um, out of the 13 rounds, <laughs> I think we had the same idea for who to pick like seven times. Um, <laughs> but then I'm, I'm trying to read the chat, and, and I see like, that's not what I said. Yes, it is. That's not what I said. I'm not an idiot. While I'm trying to text, uh, message my <laughs> teammate, who, who do we pick now? Panic. We're on the clock. <laughs> I know. I, I messaged you privately, and I was like, because – you know, we would, people would talk throughout the draft, like on the cameras too, Al. And so I messaged Ryan and I was like, I'm so sorry. I feel like I keep sniping all of your picks. And he's like, you are taking all of my picks. And I was like, I don't even know what we're doing anymore. We're running out of Jews. Like what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, we wanted, I think we wanted Blake Galen and you took, Oh yeah. We took Blake from you. Yeah. We really wanted, and then it was a snake draft. So you drafted before us half the time and after us the other half of the time. Somebody we wanted, I know you said you couldn't draft Ty, but we really wanted Ty right before, and he got snapped up right before us too. So we ended up winning the draft somehow, but I think about half of our picks were panic picks because the person we actually wanted got sniped before we got him. It was also hard to keep track because we didn't have the sheet up in front of us the whole time of like who had already been picked. Yes. So I kept being like, is this person still available? I like half the time I didn't even know, but it was really, I mean, it was so fun. So nice to be around other people who love baseball. And part of the research, part of the research of finding out who half of the names that were being drafted are, there was, there were some really, really talented Jewish baseball players that I've never heard of from previous generations. That, That was, that part was pretty cool for me. Have you guys seen the movie airplane? No, I have not. Oh my God. Okay. First of all, we're bad. as a former teacher, you both have homework. Um, it's one of the funniest movies of all time. But there's this very cute, like, mini, mini scene in the movie where, as the name suggests, it takes place on an airplane. Also, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in it. So I don't know what you guys are doing with your time. I know I know what scene you're about to reference because Cody Decker references it in the Heading Home <laughs> movie. But go, I, won't, I won't steal your thunder. Well, so I'll just, I'll, I'll say it for the listeners and for Al. The flight attendant, who is one of the main stars in the movie, she's going down the aisle. And I guess on planes, they used to offer like reading materials, like books and magazines for people because they didn't have TVs. So she approaches this tiny little old lady and she's like, would you like something to read? And the woman's like, do you have anything light? And the flight attendant goes, I have this leaflet, famous Jewish athletes. And the leaflet's like the size of my hand and like two pages. And the woman goes, perfect. And then she takes like the leaflet's like literally the tiniest thing you've ever seen. And my friends and I, all of us being like Jewish kids growing up, we would watch that scene and we would laugh so hard because I mean, like, Brian, did you know half of these players existed before the draft? I didn't. No, I didn't. It was but really cool. It was that was that was part of the. Uh, I, I learned a little history during the draft, and I I had no idea that was going to happen. So that was cool. Yeah, me too. It was great. It was it was really fun. And I'm going to drop the uh, the donation link for the team in the description for the episode. So because we raised actually double the goal for that event, but Team Israel still needs a lot of support. Yeah, apparently sending a team to the Olympics is very expensive. Who would have thought? I don't think Israel has sent a team in any sport to the Olympics in a couple decades. Yeah, Ty told me that it's been, I think, since the 70s. Yeah. And you guys are the first baseball for a team Israel. So first, very first baseball team, but first team of any sport. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And if and if we're talking about a little bit of history, I think Israel has eight medals ever in the Olympics and only one gold. So. If we could manage to take home any medal, but if we could if we could find a way to get gold, that would be pretty darn cool. Quite an extended amount of time now with the pandemic <sighs> to raise money for Tokyo. So, yeah, it was supposed to be next month. Yeah, isn't it crazy? I know there's so many things that you're like, wow, we would have already had this by now. Uh, we'd the be, Red Sox like, would be ready for the Olympics. The division by now. Yeah, you know. <laughs> now my anxiety is just super high right now about. About the Red Sox, but um, so baseball is back, supposedly. On its, way, um, on its way back. And when do you report to the Marlins? I, I actually haven't got a phone call yet. Um, 
we get group t- group text messages that say the traveling secretary is working on it. Be patient, which is hard because we've been being patient for 13 weeks now. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we get the call soon and we can start planning on getting an apartment, getting a flight, um, some of those details that make getting there realistic. Where have you been like quarantined for the past like four months? Have you been bouncing around or no, did you spend so any time is, in Florida? We So when we, when you got shut down, we had already paid rent for another five or six weeks through the end of spring training. So we stayed there for a couple of weeks. Um, and people don't really think about this, but our house, we rent out during the season so that it's not just sitting empty. So for the six months, we like corporate rented out. So it wasn't, our house wasn't available to go back to. So we've been staying with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their baby uh, for 13 weeks now. That's a miracle that they are just the best people ever. And we get along so great that we're not ready to kill each other yet. We, we're still like enjoying each other's company. And it's been a, a real good, it's been a real blessing to get to see my nephew grow up. Today is actually his first birthday, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we didn't have our own, our own living arrangement to go back to. So we are staying with family in Colorado. I've actually got a ton of family in Colorado, but I've never been. Are you guys in the city or are you kind of more? We're in the suburbs, the suburbs, uh, South of Denver. Um, but if you've never been here, be careful when you come out here because you might never leave. I, I, everybody who's been there, or I have friends that went to college there at like UC Boulder and stuff. They say it's one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. It it really is. And in it's such an outdoor city. Boston had an outdoor feel to me too, where you can, there's running paths and there's bike paths where you can really be outside all the time. Multiply that by a hundred and you have Denver. Um, I've been riding my bike outside a lot since this quarantine started and there's there's one path that goes right by our house that's 40 miles long end to end and wow. that you're, you you have to cross like one street and otherwise you're in out you feel like you're out in nature the whole time like my father-in-law grew up in Chicago our friends are from Pittsburgh I'm from LA and you come here and you're you're like this is just amazing it's beautiful I was always a city kid like I grew up right down the street from Fenway you know, to the point where like, if they had a concert at Fenway, I could hear it from my bedroom window kind of thing. And I always thought of myself as being like a city person for life. And then the pandemic happened and we were uh, quarantining with my boyfriend's family in suburban Connecticut. And I was like, oh my God, it's so peaceful out here. I feel so safe. Like Boston, every time I've been back to get some clothes or something, it was terrifying, honestly, just thinking about people being stuck in their homes, like growing up in a condo. I, I don't know. I mean, this this definitely, the pandemic definitely changed like my priorities in terms of what I want to, like how I want to live for the rest of my life. Because now I'm totally about like the wide open spaces and the seclusion and like not being near another single living soul for <laughs> like the rest of my life. I don't know. Yeah. Being from Western Mass, so like what everyone in Eastern Mass thinks is like out in the woods. It's given me like I've growing up. I never thought I was one day going to be like, oh, my God, I need to get out of Boston now and go home to Western Mass where I actually have stuff to do. Because like on a much smaller scale than like Colorado and the Rockies, Western Mass and like the Pioneer Valley and the Berkshires in terms of like hiking and lakes and rivers, there's just so much more to do outside. I could not get out of Boston fast enough every week. This virus is like such a real threat to everyone, and I understand that. But it feels like it feels like we're f- afraid of the boogeyman because it's invisible. You never know where it is. It, it, it kind of feels like we we have to protect ourselves from this invisible boogeyman that you never you never know where it is. Yeah. Definitely, so to, to backpack <laughs> off that, like, how do you feel about starting baseball back up? And like, I know they're going to have testing pretty frequently, but like, you can get tested one night and show negative the next day. And like, you could still have already contracted it at that point. And it's just not going to show up yet. And you're not going to show symptoms. So um, do you think that I guess baseball will be able to like withstand a big, like really an outbreak if that's inevitable? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, it probably is inevitable. And I think it's gonna, it is a scary thing to think about. But I think people are starting to realize in the rest of our lives, like protect yourself as best you can. 
but at some point we can't stop the world and wait for someone to come up with a vaccine. We have to live our lives. We have to find some sense of normalcy or a new normalcy with the way the virus is making the world work or else we're going to come to a grinding halt. And I think that's what we did the first time was we, we stopped everything. And within taking precautions, we have to build life back together again. And that's so what baseball is trying to do. do you think that like a lot of players have that, like, let's just go for herd immunity here within the league, like mindset? Or do you think there's like a lot of apprehension and people that are really worried? I don't think there's the herd immunity mindset of like, let's just all get it and be done with it and get past it. I think that would be really irresponsible. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, just like there's red and blue states and there's people that feel different ways about everything. There's going to be some guys that are like, let me just get this and be done and feel like that ego of like, I'll beat it. It'll be quick. It won't be a big deal. But I think for the most part, we all respect each other enough and we realize that not everybody feels that way. Let's stay safe and let's take care of our teammates. Any, any team that's going to be close knit is going to try to protect each other and protect themselves in that way. And I think the team that, that stays the safest probably has the best chance this year. I saw a really crude quote from a Bob Nightingale USA Today article yesterday where he basically said that the winners of this 2020 season will be like, he literally said survival of the fittest. He was kind of turning it into like a Hunger Games-esque comparison, which I thought was just super insensitive. But like I've heard from some people that they say, you know, I don't feel like I can trust some of my teammates because we have different beliefs, because we have different opinions on like how to proceed, that they don't feel like they can trust everybody on their team to wear a mask and sanitize and stuff. And I think as much as baseball players are grown adults, MLB is going to have to be really strict about enforcing those rules. And I mean, MLB already has had uh, multiple teams announced that players have tested positive and teams aren't even together yet. So it's a, it's a little scary. I mean, especially because there are players who have health issues, players who have spouses and kids with health issues. Well, and I appreciated that the, the when they did make an agreement, they did agree that if there's players that are high risk or that have family members that are high risk, they can choose to opt out of the season without um, without having to like voluntarily retire and having lasting impacts on their career and their contracts. So if there's someone that does feel very strongly or there's someone that's very high risk, they can make their decision for themselves. They don't have to follow the decision of the group. So I was actually going to ask you about that because I knew that players who were high risk or didn't feel safe could opt out this year. But then one of the things that was kind of a back and forth was the option if you had a high risk, like, immediate family member or spouse because Sean Doolittle's wife refuted that saying that because she's high risk she has lung problems and so Sean's been really vocal about like the health protocols and stuff and she said earlier this week it's not true that if your spouse or your kid is high risk you can opt out without losing pay and you know like job security has that changed I don't know what the final result of that negotiation part of it was. I haven't read the full document yet. Uh, I know that the union was fighting for that. Um, but if you if you do opt out, and even if you do have to lose pay, at least I think that is an option. I mean, nobody wants to sacrifice their pay, so that's not ideal. But I think I think you at least have that option. What have the um, the past few weeks of negotiations? What's that been like for you? It's been stressful. It's a it's an emotional roller coaster because pe- fans fans have their own opinions and that's one thing, but it doesn't affect them their lives personally. This affects this affects all of us players as far as this is our livelihood. This is our pay. I haven't got a paycheck in a, ten months, and by the time the season starts, it'll be eleven months. I think fans assume that all players are millionaires, but the vast majority of us, I think, eighty one percent of players are are not or whatever the whatever the percentage is we're we've been we've been working towards this our whole lives i've been playing baseball for for 28 years now and you you want to say what you want about a five-year-old playing baseball but like that was career training for me like literally the way that my my job turned out to be so it's been a an emotional roller coaster as far as 
whenever they do say go, it's going to be quick. They, they finally set the season a few days ago, and now I'm waiting to leave at a, at a moment's notice. So uh, I'm glad we're playing. Um, like I said, I think we need to stay really safe and find a way to, to keep the team and ourselves and our family safe from this pandemic. But I'm glad we're finally getting back to work because that's what the players want to play baseball. Um, and we want to, you know, it's not about the money, but it is nice to have a paycheck, regardless if that is any, anyone else that has any other job to have a paycheck or us, whatever, whatever individual players are making. You plan your life around what you expect to make. We want to do our job. We want to have purpose. We want to be out with our teammates and we want to be able to feed our families. For sure. Not to mention like the future implications that we're going to see just as like a trickle down throughout the years from all this. A lot of players have said like we're holding the line for future generations of players. Yeah, I think I think the union from the past there's a lot of deep mistrust between the union and the ownership. It's it's tough when owners come out and cry poor and say owning a major league baseball team is not very profitable. And then, I mean, the next day, TBS announces that they're going to pay the league a billion dollars for just one round of the playoffs within 48 hours. It's tough to hear that and then to trust anything that they say. I get that, like, they're running a business and they have a lot of people to pay. But still, like, I loved the graphic that was going viral that had, like, the payroll overlaid on, like, how much the team's annual revenue was and just the margins were incredible i realized that there's there's other expenses stadium staff stadium maybe rent in some cases and all sorts of other expenses and i think the players wanted to be reasonable the players said if you show us your books and you and you and you're not lying we'll work with you we we are reasonable and we want this season to happen and the owners didn't want to show us their books so Makes, again, it makes us think that there's something that they don't want us to see. Well, yeah. And the other thing is, um, so we had Trevor Bauer's agent, Rachel Luba, on, and she was talking about the fact that obviously, like, owners are going to take a hit. The difference is that they can withstand to take the hit because literally everyone who owns a baseball team is a billionaire. And the difference is that players' careers have an expiration date. A lot of players missing a season can make or break your career. It can affect your future earnings, your future playing time. An owner can make up the capital next year or the following year. A lot of players don't have that chance. A billionaire can keep earning money until they die. Baseball players can't be playing when they're 50, 60, 70 years old. So it just felt like such a bad look. Like I understand that they're losing money, but at the same time, it's pretty hard to feel bad for a billionaire losing money when, like you said, the overwhelming majority of baseball players are not making Mike Trout money and minor leaguers are getting $400 a week. Like it's just pretty hard to hear the Red Sox be valued at three plus billion dollars and then be like, but we're not sure if we can afford to pay you this year. Like you could afford to pay Mookie Betts $400 million if you wanted to. You just don't want to because you want to reset the tax. So I don't want to hear that you can't afford to pay your minor leaguers because I know that you can. The, The hard thing is it's hard to even comprehend, even theoretically, what a billion dollars takes. If if someone makes $50,000 a year, which is a nice salary, it would take them 20 years to make a million dollars, but it would take them 20,000 years to make 1 billion, not paying any taxes, not not having any expense, expenses. So it's really, I saw that online the other day. I was like, well, that's why it's so hard to even think about what a billionaire is because if I made 50 thousand dollars it would take me twenty thousand years to to get there yeah and I think I think that's why it's hard for fans to comprehend it still really bugs me to see fans treating players that in normal years they would be going to the ballpark and wearing their jerseys and rooting for them it's I understand why it's hard for them to comprehend even the salary of a major league baseball player but the fact of the matter is that professional athletes are getting paid based on their value for what they're doing. So a normal person isn't going to be making the kind of money that Mike Trout's making, because guess what? If you could hit a baseball like Mike Trout, then you'd be making Mike Trout money, but you're not. And that's just the way that 
this country works as crazy as it is. This has shown a really ugly side of the game, I think. And the thing that really upsets me is that none of this stuff, like the back and forth, the negotiations, like it didn't have to happen this way. They could have just simply paid you guys. Or it didn't have to be public. Right. They didn't have to be like leaking stuff to kind of turn the public against the players. And then the players had to defend themselves. Like, I, I just feel like the last, ever since the World Series, when the stuff came out with Brandon Taubman and the Astros and then the cheating and the Red Sox and Carlos Beltran and Cora and everything, it just feels like one thing after another, baseball is only in the news for bad things. And that bums me out because you know what's not in the news? Incredible baseball players playing baseball. I can't wait to get back on the field and get the focus back on our play. As you can tell, Ryan, I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> yes, well, I, we, the players, appreciate your support. <laughs> you know, baseball's been my whole life, so why wouldn't I want baseball players to be able to continue bringing us baseball? In terms of, like, health and safety protocols, what's, like, the weirdest or, like, strangest one you've come across or that you know of? Uh, they are encouraging players not to shower at the stadium after the game. Uh, because I think the steam. Oh, that's going to get gross. The steam and the moisture and the breathing within the room. So uh, that's the first one that caught my eye. Of, I guess I guess you you leave your uniform for it to be in the laundry and and you change into your street clothes or you have like a set of gross clothes that you'll throw on to go back <laughs> to the hotel and shower. But it makes sense. I mean, and all of the rules that they're trying to put together, this is an unprecedented thing. So we're trying to figure out what makes sense. And take all the precautions we can at the same time. So I haven't familiarized myself with all of the rules yet, but I saw that there was a thing about pitchers can't lick their fingers. They have to keep a wet rag in their pocket, which seems like it's going to get uncomfortable when the rag soaks through your pants, but it is what it is. Um, Do you think it's going to be hard to get used to all of these changes? Are you guys still, do you guys still have to sit kind of further apart in the dugout all of those proposed things that we were hearing about at the beginning like social distancing um not like hugging each other high-fiving all those kind of things yeah I'm sure a lot of that's going to be encouraged I don't I haven't read the whole manual like I said but I'm sure we will have I'm sure every team will have meetings of these these are the rules these are the things we're going to be trying to do so that everyone understands and everyone's on the same page do you guys Um, have the Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to ask if you have any insight of like how they're going to enforce this stuff. Because people um, are going to forget. Like these are the motions you've gone through during a baseball game throughout your entire life. You know, like yeah, your instinct is to feel, high five somebody. It's going to feel very different with no fans in the stands. Um, I actually have been part of the only game to this point that's been played in Major League history with no fans. In the Baltimore. Orioles one. Yeah, in Baltimore. Oh after yeah. The riot. I, I was in the dugout, Jeff Samarja was pitching, and it you could feel the lack of energy in the stadium. And I remember at the time, my role, on the, I was the backup catcher, my role was kind of more emotional than playing at that time. So I started yelling at Samarja, like talking smack, like we were in a little league or a high school game. And like, he no way remembers, but I was like, this is your nightmare. Like just yelling <laughs> at him. And we ended up scoring like six runs in the first inning. So And it was weird because you could sense that, like, it's just dead in the stadium. So I think the the, the atmosphere is going to be a constant reminder that things are not the same. And, and hopefully that helps us follow the new protocols to stay safe. Yeah, it's um, – I know I keep that making movies. That could actually movie. be hilarious, just guys in dugouts just ruthlessly chirping <laughs> each other. Like, Because I, I remember, like, fans getting kicked out of some high school games, myself included at points, just like from chirping on like, oh. the pitcher. And no, okay, shout out Ludlow High School, Marty Fanning one day even encouraged it because the guy on the mound was just so rattled. He was like, guys, yeah, keep working this guy. We got kicked out that game like collectively as a group. But right, like, or, can you, or can you imagine, can you imagine big leaguers doing the call and response chants from Little League? 
<laughs> everywhere we go, everywhere we go. I'm landing bottles great of beer on the wall. Content opportunities here, I think. Some great yeah. content opportunities. Like, I mean, I don't know get that like it will a, happen, but maybe get it like should. Like an R-rated stream that MLB can sell rights to. That, like, if you're of a certain age and consent, you can tune into it and just like hear these guys like swearing up a storm and chirping each other and. I also heard a rumor that they might do what uh, NFL football teams do in practice before they go on the road and blast crowd noise over the speakers so it feels more like a normal game. I also heard some teams are going to do the cardboard cutouts in the stands. I think it was the president of the A's was tweeting about people were like, can you please put cutouts in the stands? Because it's going to look weird for us, too, um, or the, to just uh, see these the empty stuffed animals. The stuffed animals they're doing in Korea are, pr- are pr- pretty fun, too. Stuffed animals? I didn't see that. That sounds cute. Yeah, they have all sorts of stuffed animals in the seats behind home plate. And (laughs) unless you, like, look at first, you don't really notice because they're all different colors and shapes and sizes. And then you're like, oh, my God, that's SpongeBob. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, I think the content can be really interesting for, like, you guys have that chance. I know that my dad is always that guy who he has a really booming voice. And so a couple years ago somebody on the socks who I was friendly with, my dad and I were sitting pretty close to the, to the front by the uh, socks dugout. And he was not having a good outing in relief. And my dad just keeps screaming, throw strikes like over and over again. So I later I was like, Hey, did you hear someone screaming throw strikes during your outing? He's like, yeah. And I was like, that was my dad. I'm very sorry. But I think it would be like a lot funnier, obviously, if it's like you guys chirping each other from dugout to dugout. At the very least, we can see a different side of you guys. It's illegal, how is it? Yeah, David David Ross would have been great if he was still a player for this because he was always chirping. Um, but nobody could hear him except for our dugout. But he was a great chirper. I would not actually imagine that. But I mean, I get like... Grandpa Rossi, I don't know, but now he'll be the manager of the Cubs, so yeah, I guess he'll have to behave the, himself. <laughs> some of the some of the chirping that he that he that was my favorite of his chirping, I've kind of adopted and and started using myself. Um, and when I was with the the AAA with the Pirates in Indianapolis, I was screaming, I was yelling some of the stuff, and my manager pulled me aside and he said, "Hey, we have we have roving, you know, traveling roving guys in here, and they don't know that you're just, you know." You're just showing some personality now, but they said they're they're uncomfortable with some of the stuff you're saying. <laughs> and I was like, I, I learned this from Grandpa Rossi. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what were some of the lines? What were oh, some that's of not appropriate for radio. <laughs> Good thing this isn't radio. How about it? <laughs> no, no, no. God. And no, I I I've sworn to secrecy. He is he's a manager now with a reputation to uphold. Oh, that's true. We we can't we can't lose yet another MLB manager this year. That's yeah. we're already up to what three. Hmm. All right. Um, I want to backtrack real quick because you went to Yale and you had a very impressive college baseball career. Do your Ivy League records still stand for hitting streak and career home runs? Uh, I know that the one of the the incoming players that I hosted on his official visit broke my doubles record a couple years after I left, and I was like, "Come on, Trey!" Like, but I I, I believe <laughs> most of the Yale records stand, especially. And you know what? They changed the bats. They took the pop out of those metal bats they used, so I think the home run ones are safe. Uh, but I. I I'm proud of them, but I don't I don't check to make sure they're still there. I'm not really sure. I only know the doubles one got broken because everyone texted me about it. Okay, very pressing New Haven question. What was your favorite pizza place down there? Because I grew up like like right near the Connecticut border, so. Yeah, everyone uh, always likes to say Peppies or Sally's, and I always say Modern. Okay, that, those are like the big three, though. Yeah, but everyone forgets Modern. And I, and I would really ch- go to Louis' lunch. Well, Modern has the best – people Late forget night. that Modern has the best Google reviews, I think, Modern was if the I best remember one. correctly. Yeah. Although if you're looking for, like, a clam pizza, you have to go to Pepe's. It's just so unique. 
Yeah, that's true. That's and it's so like quintessential, like Connecticut coast, New England. Like, yeah, that's good stuff. They even cool. brought. Yeah, I respect. I respect that answer. <laughs> they even brought Peppies to um to Boston. There's one in Brookline now. Yeah, but there's something about the New Haven. Yeah, location. having had having had the Connecticut one and having had the Boston one because I'm actually in Connecticut right now, the Connecticut is far superior which is unfortunate for Boston. Unsurprisingly, due to our very sophisticated setup during coronavirus times, we had a little technical difficulty. Ryan got disconnected before we were able to actually thank him for coming on and have him say goodbye. But you can follow Ryan on Twitter. His Twitter handle is his name, Ryan LaVarnway. And he's just great. And I'm so glad that we connected and that he was able to come on and give us the player perspective. And best of luck to him with the Marlins. Best of luck to the Marlins. I'm low-key hoping that they just have like a really hot 60-game season and just get to the playoffs because I have a weird love for that team. I don't know. I mean, their social media is great. And I actually one time had a back and forth thread with them where we just sent the lyrics of how I beat Shaq by Aaron Carter back and forth to each other for like literally the entire chorus of the song. And it was great. But I don't know, something about underdog teams. Maybe it's like growing up a Red Sox fan pre-2004, but I just have a love for like those underdog teams. And the Marlins are definitely an underdog team. Yeah, people forget that, like, after Jose Fernandez's passing, like, that team totally broke up and looks so different. Yeah. So that's our show. You can also follow us at Girl at the Game on Twitter and Instagram. And please download, subscribe, leave us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or Libsyn. Yes. And also just a reminder that if you enjoy the content on girlatthegame.com and the Girl at the Game podcast, buy us a cup of coffee or two on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash girl at the game. Any money on there goes to helping pay for the podcast platform, helping us hire new freelance writers and just bringing you more of this women in sports content because In case you didn't know, being in sports does not pay well if you're not Mike Trout. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. Sending you out with the Backstreet Boys song that I butchered earlier in the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Rock your body.